Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Does anyone in your family have, like, a hobby that just perplexes you or, like, a collection that you just kind of look at and be like, ugh, I have to, I have to deal with all of these hummels one day. You know, not, not to get grim, but, like, you know, you're looking at something that you will inherit as your problem. Um, I... I think I'm that family member, to be honest. But if anything, because <laughs> I'm the one with all the books that he doesn't read, and that's definitely mm. going to be my own problem. But if not, I would say the only other person that collects things is my mom with Christmas ornaments. But that's actually oh. organized, and my stuff's mm-hmm. not. So, how about you? I mean, do you have any situations like this? I mean, my mom, admittedly, she's collected a lot of. stuff. Stuff. Okay. Uh, and I know she's she's made efforts in downsizing a lot of it. However, there are certain things she uh, just still has a ton of. And I think part of that is just being an artist. I think there's just yeah. this idea that um, even though she doesn't really paint or do anything anymore, the the bins of half used uh, bottles of latex paint in the basement are going to get used someday, you know, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Now now that I'm saying that out loud, this sounds like a fire hazard. Um, (laughs) It kind of does. Yeah. My dad's uh, apartment that he's like, after years and years has finally finished renovating. It's very clean and well organized, but it, it, I, I've been told it has been foretold that he has a storage unit that is an absolute nightmare that is where the rest of the mess is being kept. Oh, God, that's, um, like, that's like me and my family, too, have that. <laughs> I relate very much. You don't touch it because right. it's, it's got, you know, all kinds of stuff we have to mm-hmm, keep in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but, I mean, the an interesting example of this, though, was with uh, with my ex in Montana. She... Uh, I, I, I went up to Helena a few times with her, uh, you know, to obviously visit, was visit her family, but we had, there were a few trips where we had a mission to help them clean out their garage. And, you know, they had lived multiple places. Um, you know, they had stuff from when they used to live, like, I think like Bashan Island, or something oh, like wow. they they lived in the Seattle area. They lit, you know, used to be beachcombers and everything. Um, her mom is a, you know, uh, elementary school music teacher, and you know she's been holding on to like children's costumes mm. and and you know art projects that you know now the, these kids are like grown adults now, right. uh, but she's still holding on to their stuff, you know, because of integrity. Yeah, I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. 
And anyways, so I, they, they basically pointed to a shelf once and they said, okay, we are going to do a serious clean. We're going to do a serious purge. You take that shelf. Um, and so I'm going through the stuff and I come up upon um this a whole bunch of like coolers and stuff and i open them up and they are full of shells um but not like nice shells like just whatever shells that they have found on from their beach combing days so you know like th these shells have to be like ha have to have been picked up like over 20 years ago and Whoa. just have been sitting in and they're just kind of broken shells they're not like you know, this pristine collection. Um, a lot of them are in, like, takeout containers. Um, and huh. then I see a bag in this collection as well. And I reach to unravel it, but then I can see what's inside. And inside is the, like, at this point, petrified head of a pelican. What? that has been sitting in their garage for probably more than two decades. Hold on, whoa, 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 hold on, let's back up. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> like a skull? Or, like... Like, I, I don't understand. Well, like, an to, actual pelican to, head. You'd need to clean it for it to be a skull. So it has, like, muscles like, and stuff on it? Like, muscle tissue? And... Like, what the, it's, it's not uncommon when you're on the beach. Because of the, the elements and the sun and everything, you find the, like, you find, like, a dried fish, you know? Like, it's not gooey, but it's still not just the uh. skeleton. It's because it's been dried out in the sun. And that's basically what is inside uh. this bag is oh. the 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 sun-dried head of a pelican. A a pelican raisin uh is inside this bag. And so I confront her parents about this. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, "So this is going in the trash, right?" And uh -huh. her dad's like, "Nah, I might want that one day." What? And you so mean? What? I put it back on the shelf. <laughs> right, for safekeeping. Oh, it's, it's yeah. taking so hard for me not to... I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when Jane Bennett talks about the call of things, I guess she really wasn't joking. <laughs> I guess there must be something here that's attracting mm -hmm. them to these things. No, I'm trying to be, like, not judgmental at all because I understand yeah. the sentimentality to these things, and I understand mm -hmm. weak... Mm -hmm. I, who am I to talk? I got a lot of random stuff in my house that for sure is trash, but it's my trash. Yeah. However, that's living tissue. <laughs> or it was, I yeah, guess. It's, it's a bit um, unsanitary. It's also, it's also not in a place that you're looking at and appreciating it. They clearly yeah. did not, were not aware that it was there. Um, right, but, but they're going to okay, keep it. They, still felt, they mm. still felt the call of the object, I guess. I um, guess in the cooler in the bag, uh, you know, mm -hmm. where, it, where it lay dormant for so long. That <laughs> right. is... I mean, it's it's the most ideal situation, I guess, of finding a head in a cooler in someone's garage. <laughs> you know, when you say it like that, I guess it's better than like, <laughs> you know, the Godfather or something. The 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 Florida version of of the Godfather. They put a pelican in this bed, a pelican that... head. Oh my god! But like, yeah. did you did you keep your composure when that happened where you're like, Hey, I don't want to alarm anybody, but, uh, I found this head in here. Um, what are we doing? What are we feeling? I, 
I think I was understanding as someone that as a child collected a lot of gross stuff off of the beach and kept it for longer than I should have. But at least mm. I had the sense to throw a lot of it out when the time came. And I realized that I had like the rotting parts of, of, of dead sea life. Um, yeah. Know, in boxes. That's definitely um, not great. Yeah. I definitely teased my now ex-girlfriend about it. Um, you know, which is, you know, that's, that's, that's something I'll have to, you know, deal with. That's, uh, you know, that when, uh, you know, when, when, when I face judgment, you know, I'll, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to confront my, uh, my, my relentless teasing about the, (laughs) about the pelican head that her dad has in a bag. I I think there's justification there, but you know, whatever. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. fair enough, I guess. Wow. That is a very... That's a crazy story, man. I have to be honest. That is pretty. That is pretty <laughs> wild. Wow, I did not, did not expect mm-hmm. that one coming. Um, what a twist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Especially you know for a collection like that. You know, speaking of seashells, you're probably wondering about mm-hmm. this Rococo uh, style salon that we have found ourselves in. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's partially why I also think I was a bit taken aback where, you know, when you told me we were going to talk about collecting uh, for our exhibit mm-hmm. today, I didn't think we were going to lead in with uh, Pelican Heads. But yeah, I am a bit right. uh, confused and also overwhelmed with all of these paintings. I feel like I'm in the Barnes Museum, but it's much bigger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the, the reason we're kind of starting our tour here today, uh, you know, and in any one of these many uh-huh. gold encrusted chests, there could be the head of a pelican waiting Ooh. for you. <laughs> it's yeah. like the golden ticket to Charlie. It's to our, it's to our <laughs> chocolate factory. If you get the head of the pelican, <laughs> you get to go to the UCM chocolate factory. Oh my God. Oh God. That's <laughs> uh, canon now. um but what we wanted to talk about today was um the conventions of collecting in museums Mm -hmm. in contemporary times obviously there are lots of things that are a hot topic right now with collecting in museums and yeah we should be upfront about that there are a lot of museums that have artifacts in them that are a direct result of someone colonizing someone else Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. typically a european uh empire uh but not always uh but typically a european or american uh enterprise that went in somewhere took what they saw as curiosities and brought them back to the museum and we can look at that as this cruel indifference of the modern machine going in and tearing up something that feels uh, pure and inspired and bringing it back to a place where it is neutralized and studied. What I wanted to talk about today in particular was how we got there. Like, why why do European countries, but particularly... um, france which we model a lot of this stuff after what was it in the within the european nations that created this machine like Mm. why is there this thing that we look at now with kind of a bit of horror um the as as we try to 
uh, create more equitable museums, which I think is, we can also say, should be a goal here. We're pro-museums here at the UCM, and we're not right. just saying that, you know, because someone's watching from the shadows. Um, <laughs> It's it, it a a an institution of learning and mm. public trust is a worthwhile pursuit uh, in contemporary society. Something that will uh, keep record for us, but also something that allows us to engage with said records. Yeah, yeah. So, what I wanted to look at is. In particular, what the Louvre was responding to, the Louvre, you know, being the museum, mm. if we are really thinking about it, you know, it's the True. most visited museum in the world. And it's also really the template for how a lot of art is interacted with. Um, and th this is for a few different reasons you know we think of the louvre now i think is somewhat opulent in comparison to like say a white cube gallery um you know a modern art museum because the louvre itself you know is built out of an old palace um right, you know, the, right the exterior facade is to us reads as incredibly noble looking mm -hmm. um but if you're looking at the conception of the louvre as an art museum it is happening actually in direct opposition to monarchy um hmm. the louvre was really meant to be this um democratizing force uh in the wake of the french revolution if you want to think about how people encountered art before the louvre sought to do the opposite to um completely contradict how people had been interacting with art in particularly in france but in a lot of places in europe up until that point um if we are thinking about the virtues the aims and the goals of the french revolution we have a few different things obviously the stuff that we like democracy right, right. um you know, we're not for the the absolute rule of, uh, you know, monarchy and, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, a hereditary line of succession. Um, right, you know, right. You know, in incredible uh, inequality and lack of mobility, of social mobility. Um, and with the French Revolution, we really see this as as a part of a lot of revolutions in europe and elsewhere of a push towards democracy uh globally mm -hmm. um and in particular the french revolution i feel like illustrated this because you had you know louis the sun king and marie antoinette you had these very easy symbols of opulence that the scrappy uh proletariat are rising up against you know that right. the, the the noble uh revolutionaries uh, are, are going after with their ideals but let's let's think about what a lot of those ideals were like i said democracy we like mm -hmm. that um what they're also going for is a um a and basically a a removal of institutional uh religion um to some extent i think we are on board with that we like a 
we we in the U.S. of A. for the most part like a nice separation of church and state uh, when we can get it. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say exactly <laughs> when we can get it. Yeah, when we can um, have it, that's nice. No theocracies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we do not. We we do not uh, need need a theocracy either. What we can say is, you know, they were they were pretty staunchly anti, just anti religion in general with the French Revolution. Um, and then you also have the kind of, uh, the streak of misogyny that also runs a lot through the French Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it, the, the, the rejection of Rococo, which was the preceding, um, artistic movement up until that point was seen as a very mm-hmm. feminine artistic movement lots of soft uh shapes lots of things inspired by seashells um a uh Hmm. something that they saw as too feminine interesting that that's the reason and not that a lot of that you know the subject matter tends to be very like provocative and also exploitative which i feel like would be more the issue Mm -hmm. Maybe not the provocative yeah. side, but definitely the exploitative side of it, like you know, with uh, yeah. male gaze and such. But, but okay, I mm-hmm. mean, I guess it's somewhere yeah. On the right I mean, track. You, all you need to do is you, you can look at um, Franz Fragonard's The Swing. I think that's yeah, that like sums it up. The Rococo painting, yeah. Um, but you'll see that style of art like up until the very end of the French monarchy, mm-hmm. and of course, there's there's the association of the latter days of the Bourbons with Marie Antoinette, right? Right, Um, right. And here was, you know, this woman that people could direct a lot of their scorn on, regardless of how much actual power she actually had in the whole thing. Yeah, she's kind of just there, in all honesty. Yeah, and and also, like, someone just married off by her family, Um, you know. Yeah. uh, She's, she didn't, there's there's nuance to Marie Antoinette that I think gets gets lost occasionally. Yes, yes. So you have these factors that are there. So obviously they're trying to craft a new society, right? You would mm-hmm. too after a revolution. You'd be like, okay, well now what? You right. Want to hope you have a plan? Um, I have better. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... And yeah, and there was a lot of, you know, ransacking the apartments of the old aristocracy, lots of beheadings, you know, this is a Robespierre yeah. world now. Right. So the, the monarchy is killed. However, there are still all of these artifacts of the monarchy mm-hmm. and all of, and, uh, and artifacts uh, of the church, of the presence of Catholicism uh, that, you know, was deeply rooted uh, in French culture. Um, So they were looking for a way to preserve them in one sense, um, but they needed a way to neutralize them. They wanted Mm. people to come and look at, uh, say, a painting of Jesus or the Virgin Mary but they wanted people to appreciate it as uh, an artistic endeavor rather than a spiritual one. Um, And this is where we see the shift in a a part of the shift in appreciation of art that we are now that um, the veneration that we have for the, for the Renaissance artwork 
uh, the Baroque artwork and, and, and later religious paintings, this gets turned over to academia. This is mm. determined to be something that we study not for its its ideas of uh of spiritual growth but as a progression of uh the the, the representational skills of the artists huh. and by taking them taking these statues and paintings uh, out of the churches and putting them into the museum you are no longer making them things uh, objects of worship Right, uh, they're right. not they're no longer admired in the same way you you know you take a painting of king louis out of a civic building and you put it in the museum and now it's no longer this um you know a, a propagandistic uh painting meant to uh highlight why you uh you know, quote unquote, why you are uh, paying fealty to this person. You know, those mm -hmm. paintings were meant to instill some idea of grandeur to the monarchy, of justifying the monarchy. Right, right. So now you take it out of a civic space and put it into, again, this museological space. Now it is an object of study. Now we don't look at it to venerate the king we look at it to study the brushwork and you know put it into the realm of art history um rather than politics right it's interesting yeah no it's it's interesting because you can see us wanting to do this with say uh civil war monuments now mm. um yeah we don't yeah. want to necessarily destroy all of them uh <laughs> right. but we want we want to put them in a more neutral space so that we can study them uh you know this has been the the case as as people try to figure out with what what do you do with um monuments what do you do with uh all of these relics of uh propaganda and to to some extent, sometimes they just neutralize themselves by fading into history and nobody really cares about them until it's like re-revealed what they yeah. were, what their original intent was. And that 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 can be a bit of a gray area. It can kind of depend, you know, if everybody was kind of going about their day, not, you know, not thinking about it. Th there's there's interesting arguments on both sides as to uh how much uh how much it matters that we know uh, about all of the things that that surround us, you know, and and how much that affects our daily life. And, and in a lot of cases, you know, there's a lot of uninterrogated uh, artworks, architectural projects, monuments that yeah. uh, do surround us of unsavory people. And it's it's a genuine question. How much does that uh, affect our outlook on the world? Yeah. So if you were to look at, say, how you would display art and curiosities in this setting uh, of, of sort of a Rococo study of, you know, a, a, a learned person's collection, you know, the way that someone would bring you through these incredibly ornamental rooms and 
the way that you know th- there's places to lounge there's all sorts of things tucked away hidden that the collector would reveal to you in this incredibly intimate setting um the museum by contrast was now a big open hall with um comparatively less decorative walls the artwork Mm. is hung just to be looked at and everything's supposed to be out in the open uh out and apparent for you uh interesting and it's interesting there was kind of uh immediately backlash against this uh just because people people from everyday walks of life were suddenly getting to see art like this and they had you know they they were seen as not having the sophistication to properly appreciate it you know much much like our world today still does yeah yeah the way that the way that um you know you the way that i as a young child would want to hang around a dinosaur exhibit and want to correct people as they walked (laughs) past and had the wrong interpretations of the fossils um there there were there were men in top hats doing this uh but you know about like renaissance paintings yeah they would just mansplain it to everybody Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yes, this is this is prime time for me. Uh, yeah, yes. This is further complicated uh, by Napoleon and his exploits because now you have this place where you can right. put in these objects that become curiosities uh, for the public. Now you have someone who is ransacking Europe. Uh, and Egypt and uh, uh, the, the, the Near East, you have someone just trudging across and and collecting things and sending them back to the Louvre. Uh, and this is, you know, in part where the Louvre gets a lot of its impressive collection of artifacts from across Europe and the Near East and North Africa. Um but you uh th- this is this is where this comes into play suddenly this tool of the revolution to um neutralize power of um things that have kind of an ineffable aura to them things that uh were meant to have an experience tied to their location that you were meant to encounter a painting of uh, a religious painting in a church or a statue in a town square um, or the portrait of an important nobleman uh, in a in a particular hall. Suddenly that space was removed and now you're encountering it in kind of the sanitized halls of a museum. You are and it's out in the open for anyone to see. It's not something that you could stumble upon it's not something that you have to go out and seek it's right there for you Mm. and as this would you know and this basically would only uh as you can see there is the mechanism for for what this work has done and then once it you know goes even beyond europe and you know falls into 
you know, even more uh, Orientalist perspectives of uh, looking at non-European art, you see how this, uh, this was only intensified. It's only even more removed from their knowledge of culture and religion. So now it's even more decontextualized, even more, um, even, even more othering to it. Mm, Right. So laying that out, we, we kind of have an idea now of what, what put this in motion. Right. Right. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, this is great context, I feel like. Yes, yeah. We're 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 taking our time with this just to really understand what the original intentions were of these museums. And in a lot of respects, you know, there are um virtues here that we could be sympathetic towards, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but it's noteworthy that there were people even with there were critics of the Louvre pretty much immediately. There were the the ones that, you know, just wanted to bash on the everyday dummies that walk in and are like, what's that? What's that? What's that? Right. Um, but that, I guess they would have been French. Um, so, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's still there. There's the there's the pretentious person. But then there is, you know, of course, the French full philosopher art critic the character that you know transcends all time uh and (laughs) hi there my name is colby white and i'm one of the hosts from force football facts a podcast where my friend zachary and i force our other friend tyrell to give us insights into the game even though he doesn't know anything about it we use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much you can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. And they were pretty quick to point out these issues. Um, you know, this is going to be centuries before Saeed publishes Orientalism. Right. But already there are people that are pointing out the issues of presenting art in such a decontextualized way and what this does to people's relationship to art people's idea that oh art isn't something that i encounter in daily life and a walk to uh you know uh the walk through the city or stopping in a random place art is something that i see in a museum yeah and Hmm. yeah that still sticks they, around today, too. They they saw they saw that coming. Which you, you have to give them credit for. I mean, yeah, um, honestly, because that's very much yeah. still, I think, relevant in terms of even how we still mm-hmm. um, look at that today. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to take away from mm-hmm. our story too much to then get into the conversation further. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll we'll talk about this in a moment. Just um, and because there there was a uh, a French art critic of all, th- imagine such a thing, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, named Edmond de Goncourt, hmm. um, or Goncourt, Goncourt, Edmond de Goncourt. Um, it, it it looks like it's spelled Goncourt, but I'm sure that's not right. Right, that can't be it. Um, yeah, uh, fantastic mustache. We'll just say that. 
Ah, uh, right so he's one bat. of the mustache men, the mustachioed gentleman. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mustachioed, yeah. He looks like he's going to solve a murder on the Orient Express. I'm reading The Plague right now by Albert Camus, and uh, <laughs> they, they he literally describes one of the characters as a man with mm-hmm. a va- rather like extravagant mustache, and that's just how I right. picture everybody from, you know, like mm-hmm. early 1800s mm-hmm. to then 1940 in France, yeah. that is. Oh yeah, no, he is like he he's what whatever you're picturing right now, if you're picturing an art critic from the eighteen hundreds, he looks exactly like that. <laughs> um <laughs> don't bother looking him up. Even though he did he, he lived uh he lived into the eighteen nineties, so there are actually some very flattering photographs of him as well. Oh wow, okay. And and some some wonderful sketches of him when he was younger. Uh so Edmund has a very interesting perspective on all of this his uh parents were minor aristocracy but they died when uh, him and his brother were pretty young he's born in 1822 and so his life would be well after the french revolution but it's interesting that i think he grew up in a little bit of nostalgia for Mm. pre-revolutionary france uh, he kind of made it his life's work to uh, be a collector, to seek out artifacts of the old monarchy, to assemble them. Uh, and he, 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 you know, took himself very seriously as a collector. He saw collection and curating as an art. Um Okay. You know, this this is kind of a very, this is a very interesting kind of contemporary sounding person, you know? Yeah. Uh, Who who sees the role of the collector as an interpreter. He very much want, he very much feels this seduction of objects. He, uh, you know, would probably, his writing would feel right at home along with a lot of other writings that are coming out now about um our draw to objects and our draw to collection um and he loves that connection on an individual level so he is adamantly opposed to public museums and he writes quite a bit about this and um it's he sees it as this thing that is alienating him from the objects within the museum that there is no um there is no personality showing you the collections uh you know if you have a tour guide it's canned it's not uh a it's not an unveiling it's not a discovery it's not a unique experience uh to go through someone's study because you know if you've ever been walked through someone's house and they show you their collection that's an experience unto itself and it is completely different from you know witnessing something in a museum right yeah no it's a completely mm-hmm. different experience more personal more intimate mm-hmm. yeah so this is actually kind of an interesting uh take that he is seeing the issues that uh museums will sort of face as as time goes on the right. uh a a a sort of lack of humanity yeah it is that 
it's the rather barren like attitude that ends up coming in. It's the white cube aesthetic that you then see. It's putting up a frame in front of, uh, not even a frame, an indented wall in front of Botticelli's um, mm-hmm. Venus. You know, in in right. the in the uh, Uffizi because they have to pay some curator thousands of dollars to make one little change. You, you know, it, I, I could go on with the drama yeah. of museums, but it's crazy how much stuff just constantly gets shifted around and people get paid millions of dollars to mm-hmm. do it. Um, but, but it is, mm-hmm. it is interesting like hearing the different takes of like um, the, the necessity there. And then also some, a museum starting mm-hmm. out as this way mm-hmm. of, of displacing objects into a neutral space rather than having them in their origin point, but then this longing to go back to that Mm -hmm. because of what it essentially, you know, leads to. Right. And he's, he's advocating for a kind of connoisseurship, you know? Okay. Um, He, he wants, this is also where things get pretty dated about him. He was, you know, he wrote quite a bit and, you know, the, it's been pointed out. Mm-hmm. rightfully so in mm-hmm. contemporary context you know he was a misogynist he was an anti-semite oh great, uh, great. you know so <laughs> we don't mm. we can say that right off the bat that we are not 100 percent on board with gong caught no it's interesting what he was writing at that time and his and what it was being interpreted as at that time that uh there were supposed to be these encounters happening on an individual level right and he, you know, amassed this wonderful collection. He specifically, here's what here's what's kind of interesting, and the thing that is both fascinating to me, but also difficult to figure out where it fits into contemporary society. And I'd be thrilled to know your thoughts about this as well. Um, also, because I've been talking for quite a bit. <laughs> no worries. Uh, <laughs> um, but. He specifically was seeking out things that were not expensive. He huh. liked having a accessible collection. Part of his thing, even though he was a, you know, advocating for a kind of connoisseurship, he was kind of trying to say like, no, I sought out like these tables and things that, you know, were, you know, being uh, you know, sold in secondhand shops and, you know, all of these uh, pieces that um, were not being considered, but really are, you know, things that used to be in palaces and right. the and and mansions, you know, and even in his will stipulated, he did not want his collection to be given to a museum. He wanted it to be sold off, scattered to the wind, and for the hmm. next generation of collectors to find in a mass a treasure hunt interesting kind of yeah and so this is kind of interesting to me just because on on the one hand i like this idea um on the other uh the the idea that you know anyone can kind of become a collector uh and and uh that you do not need to necessarily look for the value of things you can follow your passion uh for something right the issue i see is we are kind of in this world whether you collect art or anything else everything has been so commodified Mm -hmm. that i i i feel like this is a little bit more difficult to approach now 
that now that uh and even even trying to collect antique furniture uh if you don't live in certain places is is kind of impossible without a substantial amount of money uh people that even even trying to imagine um advocating for people that collect art now um that art should be something relegated to private ownership we're in a world where people buy art for investment purposes people there there are yuppies buying art that don't necessarily know anything about it but they just see it as an investment you know there's it there's there's no way that gunkot could have foreseen all of this but it almost I, I think that among with, you know, other other aspects of his worldview, it feels very rooted in this time and place, this kind of idealism about the place of the collector. Mm. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, besides his, you know, political, personal and mm-hmm. very, you know, bad right. views about other people, separating that from this. I do think it's a very interesting take. Um, mm-hmm. I have like, I have some issues maybe with it that I'm a little concerned right. about. And it's more of like, yeah. as we balance this question of like, well, how do you, how do you contain memories or make sure that they, how do you make sure that objects of the past don't get lost again to mm-hmm. history when they get devalued right. over time? Because we love to mm-hmm. value and devalue and then value things all over again. It's, um, right. You know, cyclical in this nature. And then I think like, I think it was in yeah. France. It's one of the French cathedrals, I believe where they smashed in maybe during the revolution, the, um, the statues mm-hmm. of the kings because they thought it was the the monarchy like right, the kings yeah, of the monarchy this, but it this, wasn't it was like yeah, saints yeah this is this is actually Notre Dame oh yeah yeah right of course how did I forget yeah, yeah. but yeah no but, exactly. but it was actually the, the the patriarchs of the old testament right it has they, nothing to do with that yeah. it was something completely separate and then they it's a misunderstanding yeah. but but again you lose something there mm-hmm. and I, and not to say that yeah. the, it's something lost something game but um, so that was one example that came to mind again of like making mm-hmm. wondering where to preserve things and something as you were discussing mm-hmm. the revolution. But I wanted to bring up uh, as you were talking about this in terms of now with how difficult it is to collect and how difficult it is in our contemporary mm-hmm. society to own things, to to invest in things and art in collections and not to mention just having the space for that and the let the 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 stability to be able to do something like this just like one needs stability to even make art um i was having a conversation with my mom and my sister recently about thrifting yeah and specifically due to my sister and i talking about concerns of like ethical clothing and how to buy clothes ethically and afford like for you know an affordable price and trying to figure out what the best way forward is for navigating Mm -hmm. our world when it comes to just wasteful materials and i had a real frustration and a side rant which i won't repeat here but in terms of the spark notes it was in how thrifting goodwill and the idea of vintage clothes has become such a hype that it is now more Mm -hmm. money to invest than it was before because I didn't understand yeah. how, you know, clothing is one of these things where they should lose value, not gain value, because their materials deteriorate over time. In, in yeah. music equipment, it's kind of something similar, but a little different because of, like, you could argue sound and build quality. But in 
clothes, it's like if it's co- if it's a cotton T-shirt, it gets old over time and it breaks. Oh and yeah, it, you know, falls apart. You, you you have a certain you have a certain number of washes. Exactly, exactly. You're literally breaking it down every time you wear it, every time you wash it. So why am I paying mm-hmm. five hundred dollars for one, or why would I pay sixty dollars for a T-shirt from the eighties or nineties even? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's very concerning and then you see stores now especially a lot of like vintage rock and roll stores or vintage like melrose stuff Mm. like we had in italy um where they're charging for clothes so much money but the collection in there is amazing i mean there's so much unique pieces so much cool stuff it's like Mm -hmm, walking into mm -hmm. history and then they're selling it for like three times what it was worth because they know people will buy it because of trends and I hate that very much because it ruins yeah. the whole idea of upcycling and it ruins the whole idea of like having clothing passed down that can then, of course, be trendy and whatnot. And this is when we throw capitalism into the mix. But, you know, besides that, I think in terms of it bringing back to collection, right, if like I wanted to mm-hmm. collect clothes in this case, too, it's very difficult to find these things. But yeah, if I were to walk into a thrift store or these like vintage clothing stores and look at those items and see everything in there and really take it in and touch and feel and try on maybe I'm going to have a very different experience than if I were to look at those in a museum. Right. Mm -hmm. Or a very different Mm -hmm. experience. If I were to look at it in a, let's say sterilized setting that's having clothes from the past on display. Now I'm not advocating that we should be able to walk into museums and touch everything because I don't agree with that. But Mm-hmm. it is these are some of the things that are rolling in my mind in terms of like yeah well okay like how do we handle um how do we handle collecting in this sense should it be in mm-hmm. this way or mm-hmm. does it have to be in a very um a public institution right and i mean Goncourt was writing about you know you know it, it, positioning himself and and curators and collectors as people sifting through historical debris oh that's a good way um, to put that and yeah. yeah yeah and and trying to find things that you could assemble into a story oh. uh, of of the past one of the phrases that w- that was put so nicely was compensating for the dislocation of objects Ooh. uh whoa yeah that, you know these things are no longer in their original context but what is the touch what is sort of the magic of bringing someone into feeling like they've discovered something and i think that's obviously the appeal mm. of that's the appeal of stumbling upon uh you know a great jacket in a thrift store yeah. you know for 20 bucks versus finding it in a uh vintage reseller for 300 bucks um yeah you know that's <laughs> yeah that's the uh that that's the thrill of discovery this is you know mm-hmm. what people used to do for the grand tour in europe so there's always a class element to it there there is an association with leisure time um but but this is a real right. thing the, the of the idea of where we get to encounter these things i i'm i'm thinking even just of and i've talked to you about this but when we were living in Italy and we were doing our, I mean, you didn't have to do it because you're like a dual citizen in Europe. <laughs> but um, when I had to stand right, in when line, I... <laughs> wait, waiting for my paperwork uh, for my visa, uh. we were waiting in this post office in Florence. 
And this post office was absolutely beautiful. Uh, just, you know, it wasn't like the grandest building in all of Florence, but it had this incredible ceiling. Like it's, even if this was in any town in America, this would be the nicest building there, you know? Right, right. Um, <laughs> um, and it's just the post office and it doesn't need to be anything more than the post office. It doesn't need to be a museum. It just is this space where, there is art and design present mm. in a space that is meant for everyday activity. Yeah. Uh, it is not sealed away somewhere. It is there as a part of civic pride and uh, and utility and and as, right. as yeah as a public utility. So I could go back and forth on a lot of these elements. I think Gonka is on the on in certain respects he is recognizing you know the very apparent flaws of putting all objects on this pedestal putting them into the museum context um but the idea of you know pure private ownership private connoisseurship private collecting uh also does not sit right with me and we've agree, we've talked yeah. about this before even when we had um hillary here to talk mm -hmm. about the private collection of fossils um you know and immediately like i want to try and think about how you know because the you know gonkot's talking about art and craftsmanship uh but i immediately want to think about what this means that people typically encounter fossils in a museum right uh, yeah you know and what that does to their perspective of fossils uh and natural history items in general you know mm -hmm. what it means that you know you're encountering animals in this context rather than finding an animal out in the world which would maybe be much more difficult but <laughs> is a wholly different experience yeah um, yeah um i I mean, I feel like that goes with a lot of things, though, in this case. Yeah. And, like, it's that question of the... It's the questioning of the experience and finding those artifacts and these objects or materials in their in their place. And, like, mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. It, I'm glad you brought back up that when we were living in Italy because I was going to segue into that at one point uh, for the way that, yeah. like, things are on display there versus, like, you know, when we were discussing... Um, well, how, how things are on display there, because one of the elements and because because Italy is just filled with ruins because they just build on top of what was there and they don't change much <laughs> right, uh, right. because it's so ingrained in the culture. You know, you could be walking down Florence and in the streets and be like lost literally in the city and you'll see a painting or a fresco or something encased in glass in, in a wall. And it's just this like masterpiece right. that's been there and they don't touch it and they restore it every now and then. And it's for everybody to yeah. see. And you just kind of walk by it. And even in these like right. really tiny mountain towns, especially where my mom mm -hmm. is from in Sardinia, you get a lot of that. It's a lot of just artwork everywhere and public works and things that are very ancient um, or, or sometimes mm -hmm. ancient and sometimes more like in the Renaissance and past or medieval. And they just exist and they're meant for people to appreciate. And they don't, I mean, mm -hmm. they do and they don't because that's your daily life. It's your day-to-day -day activity. Yeah. You, you grow up there. And I was talking about that a bit with um with my mom. In fact, too, we were discussing the, the banalities of suburbia versus like living in a small town in Italy and how, you know, even though like we, 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 
like I, I, I yearn for that, that small town community, mm-hmm. that difference of not being trapped in suburbia where I have to drive everywhere, but I can walk everywhere. And there's a communal aspect and there's this history mm-hmm. built there. But if I lived there since I was born, I'm sure I would have been bored. I'm sure I would have had my problems with it because it becomes your it right. becomes your mundane. Whereas now this is my mm-hmm. mundane and that is something I look for. So with mm-hmm. that as the backing here, I wonder if there's an element there at play too, where even with this post office mm. being as grandiose as it is, and where you know as foreigners, you know, stunned because you're like, oh my god, you never right. see that in Europe. This is amazing use of space. It's so great mm-hmm, how that mm-hmm. switches and then for them they're probably like oh yeah it's the post office you know it's cool we know you know it's <laughs> we got it we understand right i mean i imagine right. that's what living right. in rome every day is like where you're like yeah i mm. live where you know thousands of people millions of people before me have lived and civilizations have fallen and risen here and it's kind of crazy and and i and i drive the bus so please move right exactly exactly yeah but but like <laughs> but it, it was one of these things in Florence that threw me for a loop talking in a museological or yeah museological study situation because they have their museum of anthropology in Florence and one of my classes mm-hmm. I took when I went there for study abroad as an undergrad we did a whole like tour in there private tour and I also got to see their archives and it was really fascinating mm-hmm. but they have a lot of stuff in there that uh it's not theirs mm-hmm. right and they mm-hmm. got it you know, when the Medici's bought stuff from the New World and just kind of kept it, and they bought it when, mm-hmm. you know, Italy had that time where they, you know, colonized Ethiopia and other places and stole mm-hmm. and killed mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah, that so, one time. Yeah, that one, you know, long yeah. amount of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, 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 it was really, <laughs> it's really, like, shocking. I was really... Yeah. Because, I you know, I had a history background going into this. I went to a lot of museums and you know obviously knew some of the discourse there this was in like 2018 by the way too so this is still i mean there's been even more discussions had here but Mm -hmm. they had one a mummified uh you know body on display which was already a red flag because it's like wait a minute what Mm. but um there's no context they are removed from context there is no label like in a sense of there there is a label of what is it and that's it there's no yeah. history, there's no naming, there's no reasons for acquisition like and what I and I did mm-hmm. a project on that of illustrations because of actually bringing history back to these objects and and giving the context mm-hmm. that they need and the real like you know cutthroat kind of context because like and specifically yeah. for a lot of indigenous um of the Americans American indigenous populations artifacts were on display there, like scattered from everywhere. It felt like it. Re- it very much feels yeah. like someone just was like, "Oh yeah, this was shown in a John Wayne movie. We'll put it on display here." And I might be, right. I, but like I might be very <laughs> critical. But it really does. Yeah. It's very haphazard in that way, and y- you could yeah, argue not, it's like not, you're you're not you're not uh-huh. being critical without reason. Right. Yeah. It, it's like very. You know, oh yeah, here's it's on display and it's carefully treated, of course, but it's still just like there's that very odd feeling behind it of like, yeah, I feel like I'm missing a part here, and and it's with that with a lot of things, and mm-hmm. there was just this, it's that it's that it's the, it's like a sanitary version of things. It's very clean, but very removed of the darkness of history and the and the yes. reasons you have it, and they and I'm not trying to like attack this museum but it was just one of these cases too even where they would be like oh yeah well you know we have this maori collection of artifacts on display but then they had the 
the people of one of the Maori groups uh, come in and like they did a whole ceremony there or something and like let them keep mm-hmm, it or mm-hmm. whatever. And it, and it still was like, okay, that's good inviting people in whose objects it is, but like it's still weird. Like it's still very odd having yeah. these things removed and put in this building that mm-hmm, has its own mm-hmm. history. Um, totally. But there was there was a movement to be better. There wasn't this like weird never going to change. But it was still yeah. like we are a museum and we'll take you know seven to nine decades mm-hmm. to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But then I've seen like you know even even in bringing it back to the Louvre versus like the British Museum and how they're you know both very colonial museums, mind you, with a lot of stolen mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But even the British Museum starting to put out display texts, context audio yeah. things that yeah. give you the context of where these things are from, where they need to go mm-hmm. back to, how they where they were stolen from. Like acknowledging we stole these things and we're going to work towards going in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is it great? It could be better, right? But it's a start. Yeah. I think is the way to do it. But yeah. and then and then the Louvre not really doing that to my knowledge. So all of this these examples in a way of saying like and and as you were even saying with with how you look at fossils on display, it really does beg that question of like of how do we interact with these fragments of history and are we learning what we need to from them in the museological display that is now being shown not to mention the you know mm-hmm. prices of museums and certain ones being free certain ones not the very mm-hmm. rushed experience the tour experience this like yeah yeah. The, the the social media aspect of that which we haven't even talked about and we don't need to necessarily but this very if just I don't know this very separated feeling of experiencing art and objects mm-hmm. and history, but and then at the same time I don't know if I want to go to a private collector's house who has hoarded objects through history and claim them as their own for the sake of a hobby. I'm not oh, saying yeah. that everybody does that in a bad way because I'm sure there's people that do that to save things for sure. And it's like you know you're acquiring mm-hmm. and saving what you feel is historically impactful and important and valuable. So, yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, I know it's such a complicated nuanced topic here and it's not mm-hmm. there is no real mm-hmm. answer I feel like yet, but I know we can work mm-hmm. towards one. Yeah, I mean that that was sort of the thing cuz I I encountered Gongkot because of a class that I'm in right now and we we talk quite a bit about this uh, mm-hmm. you know, um looking at different methods of museums that have since come about you know based on his writing and that there have been uh alternative museums that are somewhat based more around the private collection uh they don't necessarily have the same educational um component that museums have and the resources museums have to be educational institutions that you know try to have an have an objective view of history right um you know because a private collection even if it is a museum is going to be you know uh based on the uh the the tastes of an individual that got pleasure out of collecting Mm -hmm. um you know and we've talked about this before but you know how many people that you know are just rich people with that want to spend money on dinosaur fossils and right, you yeah. know want them cleaned in a certain way so that they look good in their house but you know it does nothing for the science if you clean away everything but the you know most photogenic bones then there's there's yeah. nothing really uh there to be 
to be gained um you know unless you just want to collect fossil fish in which case you know uh, <laughs> go right ahead um <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no 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 Dang. um yeah yeah um but there there's there's both both sides of this are are not without their their pros and cons that's it's not necessarily a cut and dry issue i think there's a mixture of both that uh that would be nice and the idea that uh you could have spaces that allow for that sensory package of getting yeah. to encounter things from the past and then also spaces that try to have an objective of this is this era and this piece exemplifies this type of craft and these are the people who made it and this is why yeah um, yeah because i feel like that context yeah, is necessary sometimes too mm -hmm. you know yeah no I, I i think it just i think in general art needs to be more present in our lives in different places because one i genuinely mm. think that would help with the idea that art is for the elite and collecting art of quality is for the elite i think art needs to be in more places so that we get away from this idea that of it as this unattainable commodity art needs yes. to be in our everyday life as we interact with other people it should be in the periphery uh, mm -hmm, so that we mm -hmm. have those encounters so that we have some other kind of frame of reference when we go somewhere else where there is a collection so that you could actually be impressed by a collection be impressed by someone's discernment uh because you've actually seen the mass of art that is out there or you've experienced something enough to see the patterns that collectors go for when they have an eye for something they're like you know i want to collect this specific thing and focus on this specific aspect to tell a story at least people then would have a frame of reference i and 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 one other thing that was just kind of brought up was this you know, a lot of stuff that is stolen, a lot of times it's from tombs or other other raided types of places. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's it, it can even be objects from cultures that uh, no longer exist uh, or their descendants no longer practice that culture or religion. Right. So let's let's say, you know, the, the museums continue the the efforts of you know repatriating objects um those objects are more than likely there are obviously there, there are exceptions of you know people like reburying uh dead bodies uh and stuff but for the most part those objects are just going to go back into museums and we're back at square one you know where yeah. the 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 people of greece would then be you know encountering the the stolen caryatids uh in the museological context rather than out in the open where they were originally set right yeah that's a big problem there too and something maybe not considered yeah and that um, that's 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 the there there's there's nuance even in giving these things back because a lot of times they will just go back to museums i mean look at the uh look at that that enormous museum that they're building right now in cairo i mean i'd, I'd love oh, to yeah. visit it one day but that's probably 
if and when this stuff gets repatriated, that's yeah. where it's going. Well, well yeah, because the people having the conversations are museological communities. That's the thing. It's like, I know we everybody has right, an opinion, yeah. right? And it's like, <laughs> everybody everybody has a hot take about stuff, and I get it. It's our It's how we are now, but like, they're not doing it right they're not they're like okay well i'm gonna take this object now um and 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 obviously certain people are but i'm saying like it's kind of more like i'm when i give this example it's more like you in art class Mm -hmm. or like us when we're in a class setting and people have opinions on it and i'm like okay we're like (laughs) i think i think the important thing to to realize right now is this is a conversation we are not policy makers exactly yeah that's that's yeah we are we are we are we are just another two guys that talk about stuff exactly and we're we're we're, (laughs) because because men will start a podcast before going to therapy yeah that's very true uh (laughs) no comment (laughs) no comment but but yeah no i i mean it's more of just that conversation of like there's a lot here and there's institutions in check to do this i'm not saying they're good all the time and a lot of them mm-hmm. are very, if they're in touch with a community who wants their objects back, who wants their artifacts back, mm-hmm, a part mm-hmm. of their history, I feel it's that they need to give it back because it's not theirs. Mm-hmm. And they'll throw a lot of bureaucracy and lawyers and stuff to tie that up. But at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I can say as I need to, but I am not involved in that. And I really can't, you know, right. change it right now. Right. But we can, as we, I think, go forward mm-hmm. in considering these things and that's i think the key is considering Mm -hmm. and wondering and making it clear that that's an issue and it's something that we need to be aware of because and also as you were saying earlier that interacting with art in the public helps it really does and i really i I had i I was talking about this a a few months ago maybe i want to say to some friends of mine about that like um, about public art in general in the U.S. that we just don't have much, especially near us, like, mm-hmm. with, like, Philly. Like, Philly will get, like, public art exhibitions every now and then. They all suck. They're all terrible. I'm sorry. They're all awful. <laughs> like, I'm so sick of seeing, like, experience. The immersive Van Gogh experience. And it's, like... Be immersed in Van Gogh. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure Vincent Van Gogh would love that his paintings were projected through light. That's exactly what he wanted when he was thinking of painting. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, we actually have no idea, but it's still just like, it's like someone's throwing like a gif on a wall and calling it a day and people be like, it's so mm-hmm. cool. I mean, maybe, yeah, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. I didn't go see it, but I, it's not what I want. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's maybe that's very I interesting mean, it, for some. It, we, but... we, we, could just, we could just get a projector and have the same experience. Well, also, apparently, there's, like, two versions of this where one of them quite literally is, like, a bunch of projectors on a wall, and they call it a day, and one of them is a lot cooler, um, from mm. what I heard. So there's that element. I don't want to be too judgy, but I guess my my thing of mm-hmm. is just, like, it's not really... It, it, it's the same, you know, post-impressionist right. artists that we've all... And that's been commodified like crazy to sell stuff. Yes. And it's not yes. a new artist, an up-and-coming artist, an emerging artist, or even an older one coming in and making a public installation for those to interact with. Mm-hmm. And it's why, like, I think mm-hmm. public artworks, some good, some bad, I still think are rather yeah. interesting. It's it's being... Yeah. It's like Olafur Eliasson bringing in the... um who already is like a superstar in a sense, but so maybe this mm-hmm. isn't a great example, but bringing in the like ice from the, from a glacier, I forget mm-hmm. where, or, you know, in from Antarctica mm-hmm. or something and putting them in front of the, um, one of the 
the um, plazas in France, and then the melt. I yeah. think it was in Paris actually for the for the climate uh, yeah. cords, and then they were melting. But people can interact with it, and you're interacting with these huge chunks of ice, and yeah, you know, you haven't not the regular person doesn't get to go and see you know what an actual piece of a glacier looks like, what these these things that everybody's talking about on the news are really like, what they yeah. feel like, what they suddenly taste it's like. in your face, exactly, and it brings an mm-hmm. entirely different experience to that conversation it makes it much more real so i don't know maybe that's a good way to look at it too in terms of being of how to interact with an artwork but then also this reality of situations of history and of life itself when we need to and it's not you know because there isn't a plaque in front of it that says this is well maybe there was i don't know but in Mm -hmm. terms of being like what that is but it's it's another way of experiencing an artwork that goes beyond either one of those situations, either one of those settings. And I think that as we can develop putting art into the public sphere and bringing attention to situations and bringing attention to these subjects, mm-hmm. that's a way to do it. There was an artwork that aired mm-hmm. at the Los Guillermo del Arte Film Festival uh, in 2021, both there in Florence, Italy and online where I watched it. But um, mm-hmm. I, I'm blanking on the name of the statue that was removed but the video work was called like the removal of i think it was like joseph something and he was a general or some guy and a french actually general who like was responsible for a lot of colonial exploits and the statue is pretty yikes because it's him standing there doing one of those you know romantic you know poses very like uh Mm -hmm. very very roman in that sense and there's yeah uh different groups of people uh, specifically North African under him uh, and yeah. also from from the the east as well who are holding mm-hmm. him up and mm, a little on the nose it's it's not great and this is in a public <laughs> uh, like square right it's like in the middle of like yeah. a, a, a pretty mm-hmm. large place but so it's it's people have become pretty you know used to it some people notice it more than others and the the film is them like documenting the removal so they're setting up the crane they're putting it on and they're interviewing pastor buyers on their, their like experience of it and talking about it and we're mm-hmm. seeing like 3D models of it and this like removal of it both in post as well as in the real to see how it's going to look without and i'm pretty sure they left the pedestal and then they removed that too and there's like but then they place it somewhere else but i, I don't remember exactly where but or if they mm-hmm. even did but it's the gesture that then gets documented as an artwork and video right. of, of rem- yes. physically like taking away this part and talking about why. And it's mm-hmm. not just the taking down and removing an iconoclasm and it's just never to be seen again. There's something else there, an exploration as to why we need to take these down and why we need to move them, why there needs to be context uh, as to the reasons this needs to be removed because some people just genuinely don't know. Um, I think it's one of the things we forget as those who know history, those who are directly affected by it, mm-hmm. have stories to tell that are important that we listen. And there's, I think, sometimes a willingness to stay in ignorance, especially in you know, our, in, yeah. in the case of for us, the United States, a lot of arguments being around Confederate monuments, you know, takes of it's history, it's this, whatever, even though it's it's not, and one could tell you it's not. The same thing with the Confederate flag, but there's that nostalgia, the the false equating of history and remembering history differently that all comes into play. So this is my very long-winded monologue way of saying that there are ways to do this through art. There are ways to do this going forward 
mm-hmm. that enable a very different approach that get us away, I think, from just these very antiquated ways of looking at museums and looking at curating as well as then collecting mm-hmm. because we you know it's an ancient thing it's old for putting things on display yeah. right we've been doing it for a very long time and i feel like we can go past the way we've set it up from the 18th and 17th century we can we can move it into a contemporary fashion that includes more voices all voices honestly in the sense of of what we're looking at to really get a full picture right, of it yeah yeah i think i think it's it's ultimately you know increasing people's exposure to more things will ultimately mm-hmm. you know lead lead to more more empathy and more equity because we yeah. obviously do not want to forget the past uh lest we repeat it right right exactly yeah it's it, it's 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 an ongoing conversation and it is it, like all things incredibly fascinating and it's it's happening right now so yeah go out and be a part of it i guess that's a very good mission <laughs> statement. Yeah, but but it's true. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. It's our call to action. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, this was... Yeah. This this was a this was a great thing to hash out. I think. I yeah. I'm glad we got to talk about uh, Gonka in depth and mm-hmm. uh and this this push and pull that we will continue to have and continue to have conversations about uh, in in museums. No, absolutely. I mean, thank you so much for all this, you know, amazing research and really recapping all of that, because I think that context that you shared with us is very important for understanding this room, Mm -hmm. for understanding what we're talking about and, you know, furthering that, uh, further, further understanding that history so as to make sure we're not just talking about museological studies out of the blue that these there is a lot there is a lineage that this comes out of and a reason for a lot Mm -hmm. of the ways we look at things this way and it's important to know that and i know for me i'm going to be looking at you know museums and collecting a little bit differently than i had um not necessarily Mm -hmm. in a good or bad way but more in a huh i didn't know this is a revolutionary thing you know Um, right but but also just like yeah, this is a very contemporary situation. It's going to constantly be changing. I'm sure we'll revisit this again in a couple of months because for sure it's just going to be an ongoing thing as this happens. Oh, yeah. But it was, you know, this is really, really great conversation, I think. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I I think even, you know, at some point we'll do maybe a bit more of an in-depth dive into some of the people that Gonkot inspired, even, you know, people that I... I think I actually kind of admire for their collecting mm. skills, you know, in particular, Isabella Stewart Gardner. Mm. I think I've talked about her museum a bit, but it is one of my favorite museums, uh, you know, just kind of warts and all. I think it is a <laughs> fantastic experience and, and way to uh, yeah. encounter uh, a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, what uh, outside the museum? What's what's going on with you, Joe? Um, I think. Well, I have my work on display at an exhibition um, that I'm currently waiting on the title for, but it's at the Herder Gallery mm-hmm. at the University of mm-hmm. Massachusetts Amherst. So mm-hmm. that's really exciting. I have a lot of pieces in there, um, a lot of a lot of ones that are available for the public, actually. So relevant to our conversation, but um, for you, the people, we give it back to you, the people. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> no, I'm really really excited about that. Um, there's you know that that's been going on uh that's i think the major thing that's been happening i'm still waiting on some other stuff Mm -hmm. going on but how about you sam what do you got going on 
Um, I'm just kind of painting my butt off, preparing mm-hmm, for mm-hmm. Uh, the final show uh, that I will be a part of for my thesis work. Uh, that'll be May 23rd opening, and then that'll run for 11 days. Um, we have yet to pick a title. I submitted my um, proposal for a title. Okay. Uh, I wanted to call it NFT. Nice fucking title. That's uh, great. We'll see if they... Yeah, that's... thank you. We'll see if they we'll see if they pick it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think it should be that. <laughs> uh, a a friend of mine for their uh for their show has f- some fantastic uh title uh titles for uh their year's uh final final show. Uh mm. one being Crab Bucket, which I think evokes such an image of a bunch of crabs tearing each other apart trying to get out of a bucket see i would have been Um, upset if i don't see an actual crab bucket there you know (laughs) because i'd be like i was looking for the crab bucket i is that not what's actually here but yeah Yeah, no that does paint a very horrifying image though yeah there was one i heard that was um i don't know if this was theirs but um white elephant which i think is a neat it works on a couple of levels, especially, it, it, you know, because it's the Tufts Jumbos, the, the oh, elephant. It's like, it's, okay, 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 it's got, it's, right. a, it's, a, it's a play on words. It works yeah. on a couple levels, I guess. Okay, Um bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I don't know, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're in my graduate cohort, vote for my, <laughs> vote for <laughs> NFT. <laughs> oh my god. Other than that, uh, I don't have uh, anything else I can uh, concretely announce just yet. Uh, we uh, were extremely grateful to have um, Crikey It's Christian mm-hmm. on uh, previously. And we have a really, really exciting guest uh, as well uh, to come on next week. Uh, will not be one that you want to miss. Mm-hmm. We should really be doing pay-per-view for this next, uh, oh. for this next guest. If, yeah, we uh, got to make sure to bring a metal chair uh, in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyways, that will be next week at the Uncanny County Museum. Uh, if you want to find us uh, after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, please, 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 if you enjoyed your visit, leave us a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Yes, yes. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Xanosaurus. And you can find me at Josemino Art on Instagram. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Sam Peters. And I've been Josemino. Au revoir. Bye. Bye.